Coming up, we start to turn our attention to the Carolina Panthers and the Week 2 matchup that has Giants fans thinking, hoping, dreaming. 2-0 and is on the table. My goodness, friends, we take a look back at Sunday's matchup, highlight some players that had some success, some areas potentially of concern or success going into Carolina, and yes, how to watch Daniel Jones. Ah, yes, friends. It's OGP, the One Giant Podcast, where, of course, we are your hosts over here. Adam Arbeck breaking down the Brooklyn Nets on the Locked On Nets podcast. And yonder there, the not all too healthy, but still wealthy and wise, season generational ticket holder, Mr. Andrew Makowitz. Adam, still a little under the weather. I appreciate you taking the lion's share of uh, everything, including the criticism and the beating <laughs> from, from, from the listeners. <laughs> but you really took all of it yesterday, so I really appreciate that. Just, yeah, they, not, not just the volume of the reps vocally, but also just the slings and arrows from the fan base. I get it. And listen, I didn't anticipate coming into this season and having conversations around Daniel Jones and how he looks and not having – by the way, coming out of a week one victory, not having visceral reactions from fans who believe that Daniel Jones can be the guy and can be successful for this team. Uh, we're going to talk about a lot of different things. I was being tongue in cheek at the top there, but I, but I, I really do think that there is this. I'm always going to try to do it. I'm going to try to say this is this is coming back to neutral and just trying to take all the information in. I'm not against Daniel Jones being successful, and I'm not against him continuing to show growth underneath Brian Dable in this system. We want to highlight some other players, as we said, that were good on Sunday, and then take a look at Carolina. We're going to start to do that today. We'll do it tomorrow. And then, as you know, um, Andrew Makowitz, bet of the week, will be mm. coming up on Friday. So you're going to want to be around for that. One to know, baby. One to know. Yeah, the only place you're not uh, undefeated is in game predictions. That's the weird part, you know, where I'm undefeated. So we'll see how that goes. That's later in the week, though. Before we get into, um, so I want to just briefly talk about Daniel Jones again in some very positive ways. You had some additional stats out of Sunday that really showcased the areas in which he was successful. And we even got some more comments in there uh, among them. And I'm not knocking anybody um, saying, hey, he was pressured on 53% of the dropbacks in that game. I have some stats around that as well. It doesn't dismiss the fact that we know it was an inconsistent performance from the offensive line, but you still look for ways to quantify what Daniel Jones did well, what this offense did well, and how you can duplicate it going forward. Yeah, so one of the stats that we saw was NFL and CBS put out a stat that said lowest percentage of off-target throws in week one. And Josh Allen was tied for first with 0% of his throws. And he was tied with Daniel Jones at 0%. And Kirk Cousins was at 3%. Kyler Murray was at 5.9%. Now, I think we could take this a little bit with a grain of salt considering Daniel Jones did throw an interception. So it's like, how could the throw... How <laughs> could really you have, point. I wasn't even thinking about zero <laughs> if it gets picked? Then basically what they're saying is that it wasn't Daniel Jones's fault and that the route was wrong or that it was, should have been catchable. But... I, I mean, that's why you take all these stats with a grain of salt. But at the same time, even if even if that one throw was off, he's still in the top five in terms of when he had time to be able to throw the ball down the field. He was very accurate. And the numbers back it up, 80% completion percentage overall. 
Yeah, listen, 100%. And like you say, when you see these things, you go, yeah, but what about that one throw? And that's fine because even on next-gen stats, when you look inside of it a little bit, uh, they do a great job around expected completion percentage. So, you know, for Daniel Jones, or you can go through any of these, his is now, and this is, again, this is creating this total picture. I think that he was asked to do some very, for the most part, simple things. And that's not a negative. Keep it simple and do it successfully. And why I say that is Daniel Jones had an expected completion percentage of 71.1 and he completed 80% of those. So his plus minus on that 9.9 put him fourth behind Josh Allen, Jameis Winston and Geno Smith for the Seattle Seahawks. And, you know, it feels like it ties back into that in that sense of, hey, we're not asking you to go out there. 21 pass attempts. We didn't ask you to go out there and carry the load. I think sometimes when we compare those completion percentages and off target percentage. Hey, how much risk are you taking right for some of those rewards? Patrick Mahomes had the best day in the NFL right this past week. And he's not in that category because he's going to take some more risks there to have some of those bigger opportunities. But again, like there's no knocking. And I find it fascinating that expected completion percentage when you look at it for Josh Allen coming from Buffalo and understanding that that comparison that we want to make. His expected completion percentage was also a high number at 71.6, and he completed nearly 84% of his passes. So there is a blueprint here as well, right? What are we trying to do? We're trying to put Daniel Jones in successful situations, mitigate the risk, and then if he does that well, you're going to see, at a minimum, opportunities for the Giants to win football games. Yeah, I mean, Adam, the simple answer was, you know, people say this is year four for Daniel Jones. It's also his third offensive coordinator, and this is yeah. his first game in the new scheme. So, like, when when you think about right. whether – if okay, if you weren't giving a letter grade to Daniel Jones in week one and it was just a simple test of pass-fail, pass fail. you would say he passed the test, right? Yeah. Like, he, yeah. he, didn't, he didn't fail the test. He put the team in position to win, completed the pass that they asked him to, to make, Boy. and he – and he did it, right? So, like, in some way, in some ways, I could have saved myself a lot of trouble yesterday if I had just said, "I think he passed the test week one." And left it at that, right? Because I, because I agree with you. Like, I don't. He didn't fail week one. I, you know, I, after being elated by the win, you go and you start to break it down more. And there's areas that I think he needs to improve and needs to continue to work. But to your point, he passed. He passed. He did enough of what he was asked to do to be successful. Right. And now we understand what we have as an offensive line. We know what the weapons are going to look like on the outside. We see that Saquon Barkley is fresh. You would expect that every game you expect this to look better. You expect them yes. to open up the yes. playbook a little bit more. You expect them to, you know, I would like to see the Daniel Jones pass numbers rise to 25 where they give him more ownership of the team. It doesn't have to be game one under Dayball that he's throwing 48 passes. Like that doesn't have to be the way that we win, but you do if you expect him to be a franchise quarterback want him to just not be along for the ride and actually lead this team moving forward but as we said game one giants take the w can't be upset about it and if he shows a little bit more next game against carolina we've really got some positive momentum going at him that's it and, and by the way if, if you're someone who believes in daniel jones you just said it like i want now i want to see him throw 25 passes a game and i want to see him at some point maybe throw 30 because this year to as you've always spoke about andy for you, this is confirm or deny Daniel Jones, and you think that he can be successful. But I think you would agree, if we're seven weeks into the season and Daniel Jones is averaging 20 pass attempts per game, you're going to have a hard time fully committing to, hey, this is a franchise guy. Not that you can't win with him, but 
you know, you're you're intentionally preventing him from the risk. Well, there's very there's very few quarterbacks that are worth forty five million dollars a year if you're only going to let them throw the ball twenty times, right? Like, you may as well just go get some other guy. Off the, like you just said, Geno Smith's making five million dollars a year. If you're only going to let it let it loose for that amount of time, your money can be spent elsewhere. But I do, but I do agree. You know, it, it's game one. Let's see if this is the game plan all the time moving forward. I liked what I saw. I, ha- I if it was not a uh, pass fail and it was a grading system. I would have yeah. given him a higher grade than you would have, but yeah. I think we both agree. He passed the test. Now it's on to Carolina where the giants have a legitimate opportunity to build upon all the goodwill that they just built up in week one. A hundred percent. And the last two things I just want to touch on here. One very positive one. Uh, you can also go over and see it is uh, air yards that the ball travels before being caught. And that's a difference too, right? You throw a pass two yards behind the line of scrimmage. Saquon Barkley takes it for a 60 yards. You go, yay, I did it. <laughs> 60 yards, you know, big completion for me. But Daniel Jones actually did rank third in the league behind, once again, Jameis Winston and Josh Allen. Third overall, 5.2 yards before the ball was caught. Now you have the big play to Sterling Shepard. That obviously factors in. Nevertheless, you don't take that off the board. So another good stat for him. And the last thing I'll just mention here on, on him before we talk really glowingly and talk about Carolina here, some other players for the Giants, um, was the other big stat that just told me as well when someone mentioned at the top, 53% pressure on 53% uh, of dropbacks. The one thing I'll note here is time to throw for Daniel Jones. He had what was the one, two, three, four, five, sixth most time, 2.98 seconds to throw from the snap behind Justin Fields, Carson Wentz, uh, Justin Herbert, Russell Wilson, and Lamar Jackson. And I think what's really interesting about that portion of the list too is like, think about Justin Fields, who was playing in a, in, you know, in a slop fest there against the 49ers. Think about Carson Wentz, who gave you every variation of his entire career in 60 minutes of football, Justin Herbert, right? Like, you see the swarth, and I think, again, for the Giants right now as a team, as we talk, talk about the team overall, it's we need down-to-down consistency, not violent pendulums, right? Because that number tells you, well, when it's good for Daniel Jones to have time to throw the ball, it's good. And then there's these other times where we think it looks really bad. But I think perceptually, Giants fans, and we do it too, you hone in on the negative, especially when it comes to that offensive line because of how bad it's been, and you don't realize that, hey, man, they, they were doing some good things more often than not. You had to be if you're down, you know, getting shut out at halftime and you managed to come back. Well, so you mentioned those names in terms of time to throw. All of those names won except for Russell Wilson, and they didn't lose that game because of Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson threw for 340 and right. looked good. And it's like, wow, look, if the quarterback has a little bit of time to throw, you have a 90% chance basically of winning the game, which is like what, what it kind of extrapolates to. Yes, if Daniel Jones has time to make throws, you, you saw the ball of Sterling Shepard. He can make those throws, which is why I feel a certain way about Daniel Jones. It's like, man, if we could fix this offensive line, we got something cooking. Adam, if he gets time and Saquon Barkley looks the way that he looks, this team overall just has a dynamically different approach to how they, how they you know tackle these matchups moving forward. Oh, 100%, man. We know they have the Carolina Panthers. They came off of playing the Cleveland Browns. They did not look good in a myriad of areas. Uh, you know, you go and you look at the stats even for Baker Mayfield. We talk about you can't take one off the board, but there's one big throw there to Robbie Anderson. And outside of that, it would have been an abysmal game for them. And then really on both sides of the ball, too. Uh, they didn't have a good rushing attack with Christian McCaffrey. And then you go into and you see what happened to them defensively. So it feels like there's a lot of opportunities there. And I think we, we can tie this into a, a commentary around 
uh, one Saquon Barkley from, uh, I don't know, what do they, they call them? I think talking heads. We, we, I guess we maybe consider that as well, but this is a bad talking head. We're, we're good talking heads. This is bad talking head. Skip Bayless. Um, I will tee this up with, with this information, which I just find interesting. No one's going to watch that game and see an eye test of Saquon Barkley and think it was anything other than phenomenal. I find it fascinating. Stats are interesting. Saquon Barkley had one of the worst efficiency ratings. 2.31 was his efficiency rating. And it's like, huh, how do I <laughs> how do I synthesize that information when I watch the game on Sunday and Saquon Barkley just looks like a stud from his rookie year, something that apparently Skip Ballas cannot wrap his head around. You know what it is? It's like if some stat person comes out and says Josh Allen spiral was not as well that's a good one as yeah yeah, the spiral (laughs) was not as high making it a tougher ball for the wide receivers to catch so shout out to stefan diggs he's really the mvp it's like can we just use our brains for half a second like you just said all the other stats of like his accuracy everything else it's like oh yeah Uh, saquon wasn't efficient did you see him break it up the field and 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 run for 55 yards did you see him on that two-point conversion absolutely literally the entire two guys who made the play like how much more efficient can you be when two guys are unguarded staring at you with the game on the line so yeah listen we say all these stats because they're all different indicators and if you put enough of them out there you can kind of see the progression of what's going on is why it's why overall we talk about daniel jones being well it's silly when you get one stat that says saquon barkley wasn't efficient in something you're like yeah. i don't know because he ran for the most yards of anyone <laughs> had almost 200 all-purpose yards and was everything to that offense yeah. and guess what if that's how inefficient he's going to be adam every single God, I game hope. i think i'll take that i, I think i'll take he's the most inefficient running back in the league yeah <laughs> but uh to, but then so to your point we we're talking pre-show um, Skip Bayless came out uh, in speaking about his performance coming out of there, uh, out of that week one game. Uh, do you have the other quote up in front of you about yeah. his take yeah. on Saquon Barkley, which I, I have a, I, which we'll go ahead and give it. And then I have my thoughts on it. It's, it's absurd, but like, you know, obviously this is a talking head that really is a huge Dallas fan that doesn't really like the giants very much. So clearly he's going to feel a certain way, but he said, I don't love him as a running back, because in the end, if I can be painfully objective and honest about this, which is the best part of the Very world, important. right? Always uh, give those caveats when you're yes. about to not be objective or honest. trust me on this is always a thing you say when you need someone to trust you. He's more <laughs> of a cherry on top kind of back. He's more whipped cream than he is cake. He's more of a luxury back. Like this that. is also coming from the guy on Monday morning that said with Dak Prescott hurt that Cooper rush was just as good as Dak Prescott at most things in football. So and where I mean, did he Adam, have where did he have Dak Prescott as a quarterback? Just so we have a comp to where. Well, yeah, I mean, he he said that he was easily top ten in the league uh, okay. as a quarterback, and he, com- but, you know, he he did those stats comparing completion percentages and crunch time in the fourth quarter in with with you know six yards or more to go, and he was better than Justin Herbert. Like those are the types of things that Skip does to get people uh, you know ramped up. What I think is hilarious about this is he's saying this about Saquon Barkley, who's having a an absolute resurgence now a renaissance he's he's back on the idea of like really wanting to to give some payback to people and his star running back who he's loved ezekiel elliott is falling off a cliff like oh, his yeah. star running back he he would still right now take ezekiel elliott over saquon barkley because he likes the guy that can run into the offensive line and fall forward for two and a half or three yards as opposed to guy that can hit you a home run on the outside so Take it with a grain of salt, Adam, but isn't it kind of funny that these are the types of things that are coming out after Saquon has arguably, you know, player of the week type of play for the Giants? Oh, yeah. I mean, listen, you know, again, 
Saquon Barkley, we've talked about him before about, hey, what's the style of his game and how can he be more effective? But I don't know how, after all the injuries, getting himself healthy and coming into this season and then having that performance in which, again, he was on the outside a lot, gave him that space to work with. He also ran himself between the tackles and got those handful of like tough yards for the Giants. And even, you know, it's funny, even on some of those tough yards, when he it comes off the left, comes off the left tackle and kind of, we talked about just like that little swim move in between some of the defenders to get more yardage. It's like, Hey, guess what? Sometimes it looks pretty when you're making the tough yards as well. Is Saquon Barkley a, a far more graceful running back than he is a bruiser? Of course he is. But get, but like, but it doesn't change the fact that he's effective. He's efficient as all hell. Save that. It's what's a tag right there. But you know what I mean? Like he did everything you want him to do. I just, you could have this conversation over the last couple of years when he was hurt, but the, but to come out of week one and not just say like, Hey man, if this is what Saquon is again, which is what he was in his rookie year, he's one of the best running backs in the league bar none. There's no, there's no explanation. There's no excuse. There's no clarification. There's no compartmentalizing what he is or is not. He's one of the best running backs in the league. That's I mean, period. End of discussion. He finished it by saying in the end, he can't be a Derrick Henry or a Jonathan Taylor or quote unquote Ezekiel Elliott in his prime because he's not a bell cow type. And it's like Saquon Barkley has already proven by the way, like, I mean, Zico Elliott in his prime is a, was a phenomenal back, and I mean I, I can say it could still be if we think he could find it again. I'm not, I don't, I don't want to. I'm not here. We're not here to bash. You know what looks like maybe the back end of Ezekiel Elliott's career or effectiveness. But again, we said I said this back then. I remember saying it back then when Saquon Barkley came out. It was like, hey, Ezekiel Elliott is doing it right now, and comparing those two backs. And then I said, yeah, I still want the guy that can hit the home run. Like this, that's what the NFL is predicated on now. Derrick Henry is a unicorn for what he is and what he's been able to do and how consistently he's been able to do that. There's not a lot of running backs that can thump between the tackles, come out the other side of the turbine, and then run for another 50 yards. He's built a very specific way, having those longer legs and that strength. Like, he's enormous. He, You know, it's like Brendan Jacobs if he was 30 pounds lighter but still built out of pure steel. Like, that. yes, there are unique versions of players. And guess what? Saquon Barkley, if he can stay healthy, is a unique version of this type of running back. Something that maybe what Christian McCaffrey is that like different mold of it where it's far more dynamic, I'd say pass catching maybe than, than, than running. But like there's different versions. There's different flavors of ice cream, friends. Guess what? They're all delicious. Adam, it's all about explosive plays. That's what they talk about in the NFL now. It's, it is great to have a guy that can grind it out and get you four yards when you need it. But guess what? Ezekiel Elliott and the Cowboys haven't done much in the playoffs. Derrick Henry and now, the Titans haven't done much in the playoffs. Jonathan Taylor and, and and the Colts haven't done much in the playoffs. Guess who's there? Joe Burrow, Tom Brady, Matt and, Stafford. And how about Joe Mixon, right? But like how a tip of the cap to Joe Mixon who's been there for them. Like it's right. like there's running backs that have success. And yeah, I, I know what you mean though. But I'm saying like it Clyde's Edward, Edwards Alaire, Daryl Henderson. There's all these different running backs that make the Super Bowl every year. But what one thing that's important is you see the Mahomes and the Burroughs and the Brady's and, and the Stafford's who make explosive plays happen for their team. And that's why at, at the end of at the end of all that, it, it comes down to can you manufacture points in a whole wide variety of ways? Yeah. And Saquon Barkley shows that he can do that between the tackles and outside. You know what I think the worst thing, the worst disservice that Skip Bayless did to his own argument would be to say one thing that that Ezekiel Elliott does really well, and they talk about this with the Cowboys and Tony Pollard, 
he's a really good pass protector. He does a great job protecting the quarterback, and that matters. Like, you can talk about that if you want in terms of sure. the value you bring to an offense. When you start to get into the weeds here, again, he ran, he's 194 all-purpose yards. Like, what are we talking about? Jesus, pump up your uh, your Air Jordans there. All right, Um, on the other side of things, though, so we're taking on the Carolina Panthers. The initial depth chart came out here. There's nothing really surprising. Everybody that you would think would be listed in the top spot still is. A lot of them have asterisks. Uh, we'll hear more about Kayvon Thibodeau later today, Aziz Ojolari later today, and in terms of their timeline. Wondell Robinson is still listed at the top of the depth chart, but we know with the knee, didn't seem like it was as serious as it could have been. And yet, wait and see there. I thought, to me, because I want to I sing his praises a little bit, I'm not, this isn't surprising. However, Josh Azudu was the running back in on that final scoring drive for the New York football giants. And much like a lot of the other guys on the offense, he had his struggles in, in pass protection, but he was, he was one of the pulling guards on a number of plays for Saquon Barkley. Like he showed to be very effective in that area of the game. Would you prefer coming off of this week? One win has anything changed for you? for expectations about who you want to see out there versus who helps you maybe win ball games in the short term. Cause we talked about that so much in the off season and now it's like, boom, surprising win over the Tennessee Titans, Carolina Panthers on tap on tap. And we could be two and oh, do you, do you pull the reins back in on a guy like uh, Josh Azudu saying, Hey, grip it and rip it, buddy. Like you're out there. You're the starter. Let's develop you. You had already been on just to be clear, the side of not having him start immediately anyway, regardless of wins or losses. Yeah. So I'm, I'm still kind of leaning towards that. Like it's a surprising win against the Titans week one. The giants have a very interesting schedule coming up where they could rally off a couple of games and get some wins. And you could rotationally bring in Josh Zudu and give Mm -hmm. him some reps and get him so that, you know, he does get the experience he needs. I think See, that's Giants, what I hate, though. Yeah, I know, I have, but you know. but it's like if the Giants are zero and four, zero and five, and the, and the season's in the tank, and you're going to trade all your players away. Yes, you put him out there just to get him real time experience. If you're saying that you know Ben Bredesen or or previously Shane Lemieux or whomever is giving the Giants just a slightly better chance to win right now, if you can do that while you incorporate a Zudu in a handful of snaps, I think that's the way to go. So I usually like getting guys on the field. I know you definitely like it more than I do just let the young young kids play but I don't know I to be honest with you I would just look over at Andrew Thomas and say who do you want to play next to you because you pretty much call the shots now considering you know, you know you, you've been playing well who do you have the best rapport with who do you feel like you, you like you don't have to make up for any of the things that they do yeah no that's that, that that's a that's a perfect way I think to frame it because what I was going to say was you know my my pushback would be well, Azuda was in there in the game that you won. Like he he played in the game that you won. So whatever whatever these other players bring to the table, Azuda has at least shown he can be in there on game winning drives. So what more do you need to see in terms of being willing to lean into it? And it's not about is Ben Bredesen maybe a better option right now, or when is Shane Lemieux going to come? By the way. When Shane Lemieux gets healthy down the road here in a few weeks, if he looks like he's ready to go, I think we everyone agreed he was the best option coming out of camp. I can understand Azudu taking a backseat to him. Maybe that's the caveat. It's like in the absence of who you wanted to be your starter, I go with Azudu. But I think you made the best statement. Andrew Thomas, who do you want next to you? And if it's Ben Bredesen, it's Ben. That's it, right? Because Andrew Thomas is, as we know, now cementing himself as one of the top left tackles in the game. Whatever feels comfortable to you, that's what we want to have happen here. 
hopefully he chooses a zoo. I guess that'd be my personal preference. Yeah. Because I don't like I don't like the rep thing. I don't like that rep sharing thing in game. I think I think that's always a mistake. If you if you're looking to win games and you think Bredesen gives you the best effort, then hey Azudu, you're the backup. And if someone gets injured, it'll be your opportunity. You develop yourself during the week. But I don't like that. It's too much, you know, I got I got trauma from Joe Judge and the old we run nine offensive linemen per game. Well, turning over to the defensive side of the ball, yeah, I think you know a couple couple things that we didn't mention uh, in just some of the aftermath is one, Adoree Jackson without James Bradbury looks to be the part. He did everything yep. that he was supposed to do as a number one cornerback in Wink Martindale's system. And you know, shout out to to Wink Martindale. He didn't have his top two edge rushers. He had to release his other starting cornerback. And the Giants gave up twenty points to the AFC number one seed last year. Like they yep. did about as much as you could ask them to do in one in week one, being down so many players. But it made me think Adore Jackson allows you to kind of forget about one side of the field. You know, he's got to cover it and you can do some exotic and, and different things. You could really see that um, the Giants pass rush suffered without having Ojolari and Thibodeau there. Tom and Fox is the only one that ended up coming up with one sack for the Giants. You know, that's why it's really important to see either Thibodeau or Ojolari get some reps in this week to have a shot at playing on Sunday. Yeah, I think so. Um, I, you know, in that vein of, of of compliments to Wink Martindale in the defense, I thought Ocean Eximenez, that's another guy that had a, had a really strong game for them on that side of the ball. When when you talk about um, Adore Jackson playing well, you know, just looking over the snap count percentages as we like we like to do throughout the year sometimes, you know, I mean, listen, Adore Jackson played 100% of the snaps. Aaron Robinson played all but three snaps on uh, on Sunday. And for whatever it's worth... <laughs> you didn't you weren't calling his name a ton right uh, you know we wondered about uh aaron robinson coming out of the preseason didn't look so good we know we have that one deep play where they don't necessarily throw the flag but he held his own i'll be fascinated because in the upcoming matchup here i think we're looking at more dynamic receiving weapons including a christian mccaffrey out of the backfield right more dynamic potential playmakers for carolina however good or bad they looked you're still going to have more things to cover here it was a good first step forward. And I wonder, I wonder if Wink Martindale, if we're confident in him that that he can just say, Hey, yeah, every week I'm gonna find a new wrinkle and a new way to be successful here. And, and to manufacture pressure, to your point, you're missing your two top edge rushers, your two top players that are gonna get after the quarterback with consistency, and you found a way to navigate that game only giving up 20 points. Yeah, and, and if you think about Carolina themselves against the Cleveland Browns, the Cleveland Browns have a great pass rush with Miles Garrett. Yeah. They gave up four, Carolina gave up four sacks. They you know, Baker Mayfield also threw a very bad pick. So like there is going to be an opportunity for Wink's defense to probably look a little bit more Wink-esque, if I can mm-hmm. say that, where like it kind of looked like they were just saying we're going to all out stop Derrick Henry. We're not going to let him get seven or eight yards of clip and just demoralize us. We're going to just put Adore Jackson out on an island against whomever, whether it's Robert Woods, Traylon Burks, like, does it matter? And we're going to say we're going to sell out to stop the run, and it's Ryan Tannehill going to beat us with his second and third wide receivers, and it, that, that just didn't seem to be the case all game. Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit, too, because on the defensive side of the ball, we know that, and we want to make sure we get this right. So it's, am I saying this now correctly in Jihad Ward? That's the way we're supposed to be pronouncing him? Jihad. Oh, Jihad. So we were saying it right, though. Or was I saying it? We were saying Jihad and it's Jihad. Yes. Got it. Thank you. We saw a correction for somebody else over online. We want to make sure we're doing it right. Uh, Jihad Ward, who played 87%, almost 88% of the snaps defensively. Like, 
How is that going to evolve now in week two? Because Derrick Henry is a different type of running back than Christian McCaffrey. Only picked up 33 yards. Offensive line doesn't look so good. But you also had uh, Justin Ellis. He gave you 28% of the snaps. Nick Williams gave you 50% of the snaps to go with Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams. Dexter Lawrence, you know, 68% of the snaps. So he still got rotated in there. Williams was kind of the big boy there with Ward at 81 uh, percent of the snaps but where is that going to shift now right Timon Fox he had 41 percent of the reps so like you expect that to go up a little bit more I'll be interested something that we didn't see any of uh two players that played 86 uh, percent of the special team snaps Cam Brown Carter Coughlin didn't see them in a lot of the didn't see them at all in the defensive side of the ball we also by the way didn't see any hardly any 11 snaps for Micah McFadden like how surprised are you that they didn't throw him into the mix there after they released Blake Martinez. They go with Tay Crowder. He had a really strong game, as we highlighted yesterday. Um, and you and you rely on the veteran in Calitro, which seemingly does feel like the one-to-one decision the Giants made here of like, we're moving on from Blake Martinez. He's hurt. He's whatever, disgruntled, blah, 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 done. And we just have this other veteran linebacker, and we're going to throw him in there. And he had an okay game. Yeah, I mean, listen, it was tough because to your point, I was thinking to myself, they're going to have to stack the box with big bodies against Derrick Henry. You can't go. Didn't use soft. a lot of Quincy Roche. Right. No, didn't use him at all. I mean, obviously he was being promoted from the practice squad. Yeah, four snaps. Just, yeah. Just keep in mind that Micah McFadden is 10 pounds less than Austin Calitro, right? Like 10 pounds yeah. matters when you're putting big bodies on the inside. Like they went with the larger lineup. Dexter Lawrence is a larger framed body, but like Justin Ellis is a big guy. Leonard Williams is a big high, uh, big guy. Uh, Jaheed Ward was was all over the place as you mentioned they had to go a certain way especially because they knew that the Tennessee Titans weren't going to do things left to right or around the line of scrimmage and get to the outside they were really up the middle there was not many many exotic looks that the the Giants were getting thrown at them but with a guy like Christian McCaffrey a guy like uh, DJ Moore they're gonna Mm -hmm. they have playmakers that can make plays out in space I would expect to see a different type of lineup for Wink and the Giants defense, especially if we can get a boost and get one of our edge rushers back. Yeah. And then the other piece, I think, too, when we talk about shifts from week one to week two on the defensive side, 100% of the reps for Xavier McKinney, you would anticipate that 20, just 13 snaps for Tony Jefferson. He did get in the mix, but expect that number to slowly increase for him uh, because when you look inside the secondary overall, Darnay Holmes, who had a difficult one, still pulled 40 reps in this. Um, again, situationally, what, what type of sets are the 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 uh, Tennessee Titans running there? They don't have all these exotic weapons to use for you and really spread you out really thin. But he had a number of penalties in that game, only played 60% of the reps. I, I, I want to see him bounce back so badly in this week number two because he had such a good camp. Otherwise, I think you start to rely on 100% of the reps. Julian Love was out there like full time, right? So when you have your safeties out there full time, plus Tony Jefferson in the wings, Plus, we know we have the rookie coming back here down the pike, Dane Belton. Darnay Holmes got to have a nice little bounce back game for himself. Adam, at the end of the day, my friend. Sure. We can't just rest on our laurels and think about week one for the rest of time. It was a nice win. We it could. Was a, it, we could. Be good. We could. It was, But it was a field goal make away from the Giants being 0-1 instead of 1-0. Let's not labor the point. Let's be excited about being 1-0. But now that it's Wednesday, this is what we do on our Wednesday show. It's time to turn the page and look okay. forward to the Carolina Panthers. If you look at this upcoming schedule with Dak Prescott getting hurt, with Carolina looking to struggle, 
with Justin Fields and the Bears still. <laughs> I like I like to... with Carolina looking to struggle. They're they're looking to. They're, well, no, they're I mean, Baker Mayfield no, was yeah. already struggling to begin yeah. with, and he continued yeah. his struggles um, just in a different jersey. Yeah. But with these upcoming games against Carolina, against Dallas without Dak, against Chicago, now that you see that the Giants can compete with a team like Tennessee these become realistic opportunities for the team to go out and win. It's not anymore about hoping that the team can compete and win. Now the giants are favored going into this game against Carolina. It's a drastically different place than what we're accustomed to. But the fact of the matter is they played well enough now to be favored going into a lot of these games moving forward. Yeah. Um, and I, as we do turn the page, we'll talk about the offensive side of the ball. Carolina provides some very tasty opportunities for the Giants to have success on that side. I think the one the one thing that I'll add in here when we talk about what happened around the league. Remember, the Cincinnati Bengals lost, right? The Tennessee Titans lost to the New York football Giants. The Denver Broncos lost. The Raiders lost. Uh, Dallas Cowboys, obviously, with their injury. But the Green Bay Packers lost, right? There's some teams on this list. The L.A. Rams lost, right? That you don't expect to necessarily have bad seasons, but they come out of a bad week one. And there was a lot of things in these in this first week of games that you said, whoa, a lot of fluky stuff going on here, right, to create some of these opportunities. And to, uh, that's why we do. At the end of the day, I want to come into this second game, show me that this was not a fluke that there are repeatable tenants of what you did against Tennessee and that you can continue to be dynamic to create different looks. Cause the one thing we have to watch for now is don't get complacent. Don't think that you can just do the 21 passes for Daniel Jones, 188 yards and Saquon Barkley will do 200. We'll call it a day. Thanks so much friends, right? Like the next step has to happen here. So we'll talk about that offensive side of the ball tomorrow. I think that's the most important thing that needs to be discussed for the success in the short term for the New York football giants. We'll break that down. Not only on YouTube, where you can subscribe and like and share with your friends and family. Get in the comments and tell me what a horrible human being I am. You can also get the podcast on the feed wherever you get those needs fulfilled. And as Andy Makowitz would want, need, and nay, demand the people know. As always, let's go Big Blue. 